Oh, well, welcome this morning. Catherine, thank you for what you shared because that's very powerful. Maybe you're here this morning and one of the most important things that you've heard is that there is a way that you can be supported. And so if maybe you're that person that could fill out that form this morning just in a very discreet way, we would just invite you to do that as well because one of the things that has been part of this community since we started um, some... 17 years ago now, um, was that we wanted to practice generosity. In fact, when we first began 17 years ago, um, we started with a car wash, with some face painting, a jumping castle, and a barbecue. And uh, we stood out there on Greenwood Avenue, we had signs, and we called up Triple M, and we said, actually, could you sort of, you know, go live with us? And we just washed people's cars. And the reason we washed people's cars was because we kind of wanted to redefine what worship was about as a church community. Um, We believed that it was involving singing, but it equally involved service. And so it wasn't as though we didn't think singing and worship and praising God was important. It's just that we thought that the other thing had been lacking a little bit. And so that's how we started. And then the water restrictions came and we couldn't do it anymore. And so in two weeks time, three weeks time, when we have our engage out here, what we're wanting to do is to reinitiate the car wash again because water is on tap. And so I'm expecting hundreds of cars to come through our car park and we just get to wash people's cars. Why? Because we just love washing people's cars, right? We just love, I love washing my car. You're probably washing, love washing your car. We just love washing cars. No, no, actually what the thing that drove the whole initiative from the beginning was this conviction that we had that generosity is at the heart of God and we want that to flow out into the community. And so we struck up these four values, if you like, over the years that have been our guiding mantra for what we do in here, what we do outside, what we do with who we are. And they're just as this, that's authentic, it's relevant, accessible, and generous. We said, you know what, we want to be known by being authentic, accessible, relevant, and generous. Why? Because we live in a world of superficiality. And people can smell a rat. Um, Too often, we can be boring and just irrelevant. And and so often, we can be inaccessible with our language and our jargon. People just don't know what we're saying. And mostly, we live in a world that's characterized by greed and accumulation. And if there's something we've discovered over the years more powerful than anything else, is that when a human being encounters the great gracious love of a giving God who came to earth and died who bled on a cross and rose to new life and, 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 and declares that anyone who reaches out to him may find life. We kind of have been so transformed by that that, that we've wanted to pass that on. And so at the heart of the conviction that, that serves us here at New Community is this belief that we've encountered a generous God and we want to give that generosity away. Many of you here that are sitting this morning have been recipients of generosity. In fact, I have in the last 10 months that I've been away, you sent me away and you also financially helped me with some support. You also encouraged me. You wrote cards to me. 
I've still got those cards sitting, at least some of them, from the younger folk here, sitting on my mantelpiece. And I used to look at them when I was away in Scotland, just reading them, and I felt the generosity and the love all the way from Australia over to Scotland to encourage me in what I was doing. Generosity is something that's been part of our DNA, whether it's been planting a silk, um, encouraging silkworming in Laos and, and the planting of mulberry trees, or building four schools over in East Timor, our heal clinic and the massage, free massage and haircuts we give to uh, marginal on the fringe sort of people um, who, who won't have opportunity to access that kind of connection with human beings. Um, whether it's the, our op shop and, and affordable clothing to our engaged Sundays to all the food that Catherine's talked about distributed, this community does generosity really well. And as I think about the years ahead, and as I think about new seasons and transitions in the life of this church family, I would actually like, and I've been praying for this week, an increase in our generosity. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking in all of who we are. Because if we're going to shape powerfully a community for good, The only way that's going to happen is when we encounter a gracious, loving God who pours himself through us such that we don't incline ourselves inwardly, but we look outwardly. The only way we're going to transform this community for good and say we believe that there's life in Jesus is if human beings like you and I open up ourselves in, in, if you like, worship and relationship and connection and devotion to a living, transforming God, and we allow his life and his love to flow through us. If we've discovered anything about the heart of God, is that he's a generous God, and that generosity is transformative. Because I certainly know that accumulation is not. So if you hear anything, or if you don't hear anything else I say from this morning, hear this. So I believe that the only way we're going to continue to influence and shape our community, this great city of Maroondah, is if we increase our generosity. And that comes from an encounter with a living God who pours out his life and his love through you and I. We first encounter God's generosity in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Last week, we're talking about this conversation in a garden and, and, and a tree and, and a decision. And human beings have the propensity, if you like, to reach out and shalach. They have a propensity to want to say, I want to determine what's right and wrong, good and evil for myself. Thank you, God. And as a result of that, God looked at that scenario and said, if that's what characterizes human beings, imagine if they were to eat from a tree of life. Then the whole project would be be unable to be remedied. They would be both eternal and and they would be, if you like, characterized by this desire of self-interest. Making the rules for themselves. Could you imagine a world like that? And so what he does is he, if you like, in this narrative form, expels them from this garden and we discover something intuitive about who God is at this very beginning because it says this. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who would live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve as he ushered them out. Interesting. He didn't kill them. They didn't die like he said they would. Why? Because there seems to be this other thing humming through the very DNA of who God is. 
And it's characterized by this word and it rolls throughout the entire Hebrew Bible. That is that God is characterized by his chesed love. In the translations in the Bible, it would be loving kindness. It's a characterization of God that he is both loyal in his devotion, not just affection, but in his action. And that also that he is kind. So here we are, God's characterized and said to this man and woman, this is what I I want you to have life with me in the garden, but don't go ahead and reach out. They do. They don't die, but he expels them out of the garden. The first thing we discover is that this God is a God who clothes because he doesn't want them to go naked. He's good. He's characterized by his chesed love. So I was praying for this morning, this week. I had this overwhelming sense that there is a number of people here who are hurting. And so where I was, I put my pen down in preparation. I went for a walk outside and I just began to pray. God, would you please remind people here of your overwhelming, unfailing, loving kindness? And I'm not sure if you're here today and you sense you've done something wrong or God seems very distant or you're just stale in your walk with God or you think he's too far away to reconnect. I want you to know here right now that I've been praying for you this week and I believe that God wants to pour into your life and remind you that he has a chesed love for you. His love is enduring and it is faithful and it is good. And that's what he wants you to know. So if you're here this morning, would you just receive that? Maybe receive some prayer afterwards so someone can can pray with you about that. But that's who God is. At his very center. That's why at New Community, we believe God is a generous God. Because he's expressed it in his son Jesus He's come to earth, he was rich, he became poor for us so that we who were low could be reaching high with him. He's characterized by his chesed love. I wasn't going to quite go there, but I think that's more important. You see, there was a man in Scotland that I came across when I was walking uh, up and down the Royal Mile. And there's a big statue there, his name was Adam Smith. Anyone know Adam Smith? Adam Smith was um, an economist and a philosopher in the 18th century. Big statue of him, Scottish gentleman, close where to where I studied he, he lived. Father of modern economics. And this is one of his quotes, one of his most famous. He says this, It's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. Let me say that again. It's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own, but from their regard to their own interest. What he's saying is this. At the end of the day, human beings are are not, if you like, altruistic and kind, generous, outward looking. The only reason why the baker bakes his bread and the butcher does his butchering and the brewer does his brewing is because he needs to be fed himself. And so that's, if you like, the whole premise of our modern day economics. It's not because we're intuitively benevolent or generous. It's because we intuitively 
have our own self-interest at heart. Now, that's just an observation. It's not, if you like, character. It's just an observation. But as I construct that idea against this idea of, of God's hesed love, I, I, I discovered that we're talking about vastly different ideas of economics. One of the classic ones in the New Testament is when John the Baptist has been preparing people for Jesus to come. And, and they're getting baptized. They're getting washed clean. And so as they're coming up out of the water, receiving his baptism, they're asking the question that no one who gets baptized should ask. They should have asked this beforehand. <laughs> and the question was, what should we do now? <laughs> you should have asked that beforehand, right? Before you make the commitment, before you get married, you should ask, what is this going to... Really? If we had have known, would have... Eh, stop there. So <laughs> this is what happens. He said, John, look to him, look to those people who were asking that question. He said, if you have two tunics and you see someone who has none, you who have two, give one to another. You see, this is the economics of God. If you have two and you see someone who has none, you who has one, to give one away. There's this equation. Two plus zero equals one plus one. It doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? Really. If we just believed that, how it might transform the world... God is characterized in his kingdom and his life by a chesed love. His love is enduring and giving. From out of his very being flows this chesed love. And he's not into accumulation. At his heart is into redistribution. Because generosity is transformative. And accumulation is not my prayer is that you and I might encounter the loving graciousness of that love of God such that it might transform our thinking and our being and our doing. Starting from this week, I'm praying for an increase. I'm praying for an increase in generosity in the life of this church community because generosity is transformative. Financially, physically, emotionally, generosity to pour out from us. If you like, if you understand, that generosity comes from an encounter with the living God. So right now I'm going to tell you a story about two different people. And if you want to follow with me, if you have a Bible there, if you'd like to look it up on a device, then here it is, Luke chapter 18 and chapter 19, because I want to tell you a tale between two rich, wealthy people, and how their ideas of generosity was radically changed. If you like, one of them was radically changed and one made radi was, stayed radically the same. And it all came down to this radical encounter with the living God in the person of Jesus. And this is how it goes. Firstly, there was one man who was a ruler. And he was a ruler who had a, a lot of different money. He had a lot of different influence. And, and if you like, he had all of the insider influence of a person who was a ruler in that culture of the day. 
He comes up to Jesus and he says these words, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the life of the age to come? A very simple question. In some translations it will say, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jewish people split up the world into the present age and the future age. And he just wanted to know, God, uh, Jesus, what do I need to do in order to be with God in the age to come? I so want to be with God. I so want to be with him. I want to know what must I do? So Jesus replies, and you sense that he already knows where this conversation is heading because he replies with these words. Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. This was a designation for God, that God was ultimately good. He, if you like, had a chesed love. That's what characterized him. You know the command, said Jesus, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't swear falsely, honor your father and your mother. Well, these are all relational commands. First, if you like, second five of the Decalogue. Second five of the ten, or part of, and and. Hearing these words, the, the man replies with this. He said, I've kept them all since I was a little boy. And I believe he was sincere. He sincerely said to Jesus, I've been trying to live that way in accordance to, with, with what the commands say all of my life. And when Jesus heard that, he said to him, and in another version it said, he looked at him with love in his eyes. When he heard this, he said to him, there's just one thing you're short of. If you like, there's one thing you're short of if you want the whole box set. He said, sell everything you own and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the response of this unnamed ruler, this one who was on the inside, who had influence and all the the, the different powers and forces and resources behind him and around him, when he heard this, it said that he was very sad and he walked away. You see, when we read these words, we feel the slap first before we really can understand the, the intuitive nature of what Jesus was saying to this man. We hear the give up everything, and I'm not wanting to dismiss that or diminish that. But the man came asking Jesus, what must I do to be with God in the age to come? And he says profoundly to him, follow me. If you only know who I am and what I have to offer, you would just receive me and you would follow me, and you would discover that there are more riches and, and glory and wonder and life in me than anything else that this world could offer you. And so I'm offering it to you now. Follow me. And for you, that will mean give up everything and just, just follow me. The man walked away, if you like. He walked away with everything still intact around him, but with nothing in his hands. He just walked away from the life of the living God. Why? Jesus went on to say how hard it is for people who are wealthy and connected and on the inside who value status to actually enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because when they have an offer like this man, what would you prefer? Would you like to actually be with God and know God and experience his life in your life? Then come and just give yourself unreservedly to Jesus. And the, and the pull and the, the tug is so hard. He didn't really want that. Well, he wanted it, but... 
compared to if you turn over the next chapter, that's chapter 18, turn to chapter 19. I've always been curious about this. There was another man that Jesus meets just a chapter over. He's walking through Jericho and this is what happens. There was a man by the name of Zacchaeus, it says in chapter 19, a chief tax collector who was very rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a small man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran on ahead, and along the route, Jesus was going to take. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order that he would see Jesus. Hmm. Another ruler, another very well-to-do man, who had become a chief tax collector, which means that he probably was an extortionist that he was probably doing deals on the side and he was extracting money from his own fellow countrymen for the use of Rome. He would have been despised. But we discover that when Jesus came to the place, he stopped and he looked up to a man who was looking down at him from a tree. This is where we're supposed to chuckle a little bit. Zacchaeus, he said to him, hurry up and come down. I have to stay at your house today. In that moment, he paused, he looks up, at this man called Zacchaeus. He knows his name. And rather than inviting him to his own house because he doesn't have one, he extends this gracious, warm greeting to Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to come to yours. And he does. So he hurried up, he came down, and he welcomed him with joy. Well, something transpires between that moment and the next scene because it says this. All of a sudden, he's in his house, and he says to Jesus these words, Look, Master, I'm giving half of my property to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm giving it back to them four times over. Jesus replies, Salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. You see, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so I've been challenged by these two stories. They're only... A chapter apart, two wealthy men encounter Jesus. One of them says, what must I do? And Jesus lays it out on the line. The next man is just curious from afar, but he has this radical encounter with Jesus to the extent that it transforms his whole thinking and perspective on life such that he doesn't even have to ask for it. He actually just does it from the inside out. He just voluntarily offers and says, you know what? I've probably been extorting money. I'm going to give half my property to the poor. I'm going to give four times over. And I'm going to make restitution for that which I've taken from others. I'm a transformed person. I have a completely different outlook on life. And the only thing that I can discover from these two is that one has encountered and received the generous hesed love of God in their life and it's broken and blown all their fuses and the other one hasn't. Both being offered. So about four months ago, I was playing golf in Scotland. Sorry for those golfers here. It was on the Eden course, not the old. I got to play on that as well. Sorry. However, I was playing the front nine by myself and I got to the back nine and there was another man waiting on the tenth. And he was swinging away and I thought I'll let him go first. He said, Nana, can, can, we, can we join up? I said, sure. So on the back nine, we walked together. And I got to know him, let's call him John. 
And as we got talking and playing golf together, I started to ask things about his life. What do you do with yourself? He said, I'm a financial planner. I said, terrific. I said, is that what you're doing? Um, how do you arrange it so that you're playing golf in the middle of the day? He said, actually, a few years ago, my wife and I, we had a child and the child was severely disabled. So much so that we didn't even know if our child was going to live past uh, a few days. But good on him, he said, because he did. And he's still alive now. We don't know how much longer we're going to have him. But we're doing our best to keep him alive. He said, because that's what we have to do. My wife and I now, he requires 24-7 attention and care. She's had to change all of her work. And I've had to rearrange all of mine so that the two of us can actually keep him alive. Man, if you want to know something humbling... Is when you're walking on the back nine at Eden and there's a gentleman who just graciously invites you in to play some golf with him and then he shares that with you. At that moment, I didn't have anything to say. I just wanted to walk with this man and admire him. Marvelous. I have no idea what he's been through. I have no idea what the outlook's going to be for him. I even felt short of just praying for him at that time because I thought, God, I don't even know what to say in this circumstance. I just grieve with him. But he loved his boy. We got talking about his handicap. I said, you get out here and you're playing golf and you seem so relaxed. I said, what's your handicap because you're a good golfer? And he told me, I don't know, something like 10 or whatever. And, and I said, that's That's incredible. Um, now I suppose you don't get to play as much golf as how's your handicap been over the last few years? And he said this to me. He said, my handicap's got better. I said, really? How's your handicap got better? And he said these words. He said, because all of a sudden, everything in my life has a new perspective. The things that were important to me are no longer important. The things that I thought were really good are no longer really good. The things that stir me no longer stir me anymore. I've got to meet this whole new community of people I had no idea about before, would never have met them in life. Other people who have children like my son, we've kind of got to know each other, we support one another, we care for one another. And, I, and I, he says, my handicap's gone down because I've got a new perspective about everything. So I'm more relaxed when I come out in the golf course now. I breathe deeply because golf, it doesn't matter. Wow. Life lesson number one. <laughs> Generosity. You see, Zacchaeus, this man, has come to encounter a living God and he's had such a radical life transforming experience that it just comes from the inside out and flows. Why? Because he sees the world fundamentally differently. He sees the world now in terms of the love that God's poured into me through his son Jesus is the love that I want to give away to others. And yeah, I've done wrong stuff. I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to actually come back and make restitution for those. But right now you sense that there's this overwhelming flowing love that just comes out from him that he just wants to give it away. 
So I'm, for, I'm praying for an increase here in this community because I know the power of generosity and I know that it's transformative and I know that accumulation doesn't work. But the world tells us differently. The world says other. And I'm not here to twist your arm and I'm not here to say you need to do this. But what I am here to say is to direct you to the power of a living God. So that when we worship in songs, you open up your heart and you say, pour your love in. Because he's the one who gave all. So that you and I might be lifted high. So that then his love might flow through us to others. So that they in turn might be transformed by the power of a living God. Because they've experienced it through you. I had so much else I was going to talk about today. But we're just stopping there. Steph and Kyle, could you come on up? Because what I would like to do is in this moment, ask you about your perspective on life. Because if you don't have an altered and a shifted perspective, everything I'm saying about generosity is going to feel to you like the rich ruler who just thought there's a bunch of rules and I don't quite get it. And what it's about is not having to do I've got to do all these things to please God. No, it's actually saying, uh, really, uh, there's nothing I can do to please you. But what I can do is thank you for being you and ask you to fill me up so that it can flow out. Where do you start with generosity? Right here. Right here. You make a decision today. You say, God, I want to be generous. Help me to be generous. There'll be people that you will meet this week that will be right in front of you and there'll be a little nudge and there it is, you have a chance to give some food, to make a smile, to go out of your way to help. You'll see someone in financial need and there'll be a tug at you. Should I do that? Do it. Because you meet God on the other side of acting in generosity. It's called trust. The only thing that's stopping you from experiencing God's generosity flowing through you more and more is because you're not trusting Him enough with what you have right now. You need to use it. I don't have a lot of money. That doesn't matter. You have hands, don't you? You have a mouth, don't you? You have feet, don't you? You can hug someone. You can encourage someone. You can write them a note. It starts from the heart. I want to so influence. I want to so connect with the people of Maruna, not because we want to have a great big something, but there's a big something that we know that's pouring himself through us. To get to where I think God wants us to be, we've got to go, which means we can't stay where we are. We've got to grow. And the only way is when we receive from him and it's poured out. Am I making sense this morning? So I was in India. I know my time's run out. I was in India. It's just, it's, I was in India. 
and, and, and there was this little girl, and, and um, you know Neil, we, we were over the other side of the world, and she was following me around in the... I'm sorry, don't Oh, that the love of God would flow through us. He's hesitant. She's, she's tapping me. She's tapping me on the, on the shirt here. And I don't know what she's saying. She's putting her hand out like this. And we've been told, don't give money to beggars. And tapping. So big, tough Troy, I'm not going to give money to beggars, even this girl. And we're walking around the, the whole sort of marketplace, and she's just, you know, doing this. And I know she's begging. She wants money. And I've got so many rupee, you know, a dollar Australian. <laughs> Less. And, and she's tapping me, and she's tapping me, she's tapping me, like 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Until in the end, we're leaving the marketplace and, and she's like, I mean, she's been persistent, right? Good on her. And I walked away, got in the bus. I hadn't given her anything. And I felt like such a, a schmuck. So, so what's 50 cents going to cost me? I know I shouldn't give to... So why made a rule in my life then when I was coming back in the bus that I said, no... No more. I don't care if I'm going to get taken advantage of. There's times where I'll just give. What does it cost me? So I, I go to St. Andrews. The first thing I do, I'm walking along the street because I've been helping out with Winter Shelter that our church was involved in. And there was a, there was a guy that was begging on the side next outside Tesco. First thing I did in, in St. Andrews when I got there, because God's changed my heart. I just went and sat down next to him. First thing I did when I walked downtown, I said, hi, my name's Troy. He said, hi, my name's Jockey. He had a tattooed on his hand. So we struck up a friendship. I didn't fix his housing situation. I didn't fix his life situation. But I used to, whenever I go, I say, Jockey, what do you need? Do you have someone to stay tonight? There was a church that was looking after him. It's those things. I had a lady say to me, she said, she gave me these pounds and she said this. She said, uh, Troy, this is for you, for your church. Someone from our home group. You don't even know her, but I kept this. Um, I spent 20 pounds of it. I need to pay it back. Um, but she said, she said, this is for your church. And the moment she gave it to me, I went, thank you. Thanks, God. Because I think this is symbolic. Someone who doesn't even know you is prepared to sow into you. She said, here it is, use it. So I brought it back with me. I think for me this represents the beginning of unleashing more generosity in the life of our community because it's the only way it's transformative. And it starts with God. This. All these things I was going to say, hey, I want to activate you. Because if I don't activate you, you just hear this stuff. You go, oh, isn't that nice? And nothing happens. 
So here's how I'm going to activate you in four different ways apart from the things that God's been speaking to you about already. This one, 864. We need eight more people once a month to help set up and pack up to make this a generous space for people to. And if you haven't done, you haven't given, you haven't served in this way, worship is also about service. I want you to take one of those white cards and say, I'll do that once a month. That's not a problem. Write it down, please. Six, to do some washing up once a month out here to make this a generous place for other people to drink their coffee and enjoy that. Four, smiley people out in the front once a month saying, hello, welcome, because generosity breeds generosity. That's what we need. That's a need. I want you to respond to it, please, if, if, if you feel so inclined. Celebrate next week. Would you just invite someone along next week? This is such a good community. I want other people to see it and know it. The only thing stopping people from getting to know Jesus, I believe, is meeting you. So just randomly start inviting people. Or if you know someone who used to be here that's not anymore, just reach out to them and say, would you come? So it's what this is. 81 different people here say, we give generously and regularly to this community. Another one just sewed into it. I'd like 100, I mean 200, 400, 600, there, I don't care, but just there's a number. That means 19 more of you now to say, yeah, if this is the place that I call home, my church family, or even want to, then I'll sew into that. Take one of these black brochures. I'd like that to get to 100. Engage. Okay, this is the big one. Think of something that's great that you do. And come and do it at Engage. If you do face painting, come and offer it free. If you sing, just set up your stuff. If you're not a good singer and you think you can sing, don't. If, if, you, if you have some task that you do, just come and do it free. Just give. You can wash cars, give. I want this to be one of our best engagers ever because we believe in a God of generosity. So as these guys sing powerful song, would you allow God's spirit to speak to you? And as you open yourself up to him, what he tells you to do and prompts you, do it. Increase generosity. The love of God flowing through us, transforming communities. And I can't wait.